Well, we're only going to couple of, cover a couple of verses here tonight. We're going to finish up chapter one, and that's it. We have a, a decent amount right in there we can spend some time with and, and look at. But over here in First Timothy, chapter one, how many uh, were? If we weren't here, for the other ones, got them caught up on the internet. Is that uh, still working for folks? Mm-hmm. That's good. We have some uh, changes that are going on with that uh, whole internet site there, and. Um, uh, Still working on exactly. I was on the phone with some of the tech guys today to, to work out some of that, but they're changing some other things, and hopefully for the better. Uh, sometimes change you don't always like, but this one's supposed to be for the better. It's supposed to work better on some phones and some mobile devices and other things like that. So uh, he was telling me some of the stuff we had to do to change the players, and I said, well, right now that just sounds like more work. <laughs> so we'll see if it's uh, added benefit or not, but uh, we'll be working on changing some of that. But over here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, last time as we were going over the things, we of course in the first time we looked at doctrine and purpose. Last time we were looking at thankful and grateful, that we need to get to that place of being thankful and being grateful. It's a state of being. It's a state we are to be in. It, has, it affects our attitude. There are specific things we are supposed to be thankful and grateful for. Specific things, and we should always know what we are thankful for. We shouldn't just go to the go to the Father, go to God, and just oh, just thank you, thank you, thank you. No, what are you thankful for? <laughs> There's got to be something, and you ought to know what it is. Sometimes we say, "Well, I'm sure that God has done something for me." No, <laughs> you ought to know what it is. Know what God has done for you. And He gave uh, three things that He was thankful for. In that one, we went over that uh, course before. For some things we looked at that impact our, our own ministry, our own things that, that we are we're supposed to do, was our constant, ongoing attitude. The things, again, that we are thankful for, the targets, and the pattern established for us that we should follow. And thank God for patterns. Patterns are, are just easy. You ever done uh, some of those paint-by-the-numbers? They put the little pattern out there for you. Oh, I'll tell you what, it's so much better. You know, me doing something freehand, that's just not good. It's nice to have a pattern. You ever remember those uh, those little things you put on the overhead, where you get some of those little projectors, and it would project the image up on the wall, and then you could just you have a pattern there, and then you could just uh, you just color it all in, and oh, I'll tell you what, boy, that was you get done, and boy, that looks good. Yeah, did it myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> but here over in uh, verse eighteen, chapter one, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy. The word here for charge is a Greek word that means a mandate a charge or a command, a mandate, a charge, or a command. It is actually a military term. It is not just something that, hey, this is a good idea. This is a mandate. This is imperative. You must have this there. This, When he uses this particular word, it is strong enough to mean uh, you, you need to have this thing. I'm charging you. This charge I commit to you. My son, my son Timothy. So this word means to uh, it means a mandate, a charge, a command, and then he says to to commit. Commit here is actually a compound word of the word para. Now, did I do that in Greek? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm making sure I did it in mine. Para tithemi, and what that is is para means, and you've probably heard this enough times, you know what it is. Para means alongside. Antithemy is to place or to lay something down or to position something. 
So basically, to place alongside or actually to deposit. You can use this as an example. If you are going to make a deposit in a bank. Now, this, this may not work for much longer, but for right now, it still does for most people. If you're going to make a deposit in a bank, you have to actually take the deposit and physically go up to the bank and get near the bank. <laughs> Either maybe the drive-thru, you don't always have to go in, but you at least have to get near the bank in a drive-thru, and then you make the deposit. I say it may not work for much longer because more banks are coming up with a little app that you take the picture of the check with your phone, and then you say send, and you never had to go to the bank. You made a deposit. I know of one bank already that has that in, in place, and uh, some other ones are, are going to be uh, putting that in place. But, oh, how much nicer is that than having to take that check on down to the bank? You just take that check, lay it out on your table, take a picture of it with your phone, hit send. <laughs> and the bank has it, and then they, because uh, everything is done electronically, they don't need the physical uh, piece of paper anymore. So it's all done that way. So uh, pretty soon you won't have to come near <laughs> to the bank anymore to make a deposit. But for right now, for most of us, if we're going to make a deposit, we have to come near. Now, it won't work for cash. I guess for cash, you have to go actually in there and uh, see somebody. Yeah, they do. But I don't know about, I don't know about doing cash in the day team. <laughs> I'll do a check that way, but I'm not so sure about cash. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, my. Well. He says there, here, this charge I commit to you. So he's saying this charge, this military term, this, this mandate I am putting into, I am committing to you. I am coming up alongside and I am depositing this in you. This charge I commit to you. These things that are, are committed, and, and Paul's reminding him of some things he's committed in here to him. And that we ought to be thinking about the things that are committed to us. Do you know that there are some things committed to us? We look at this and say, oh, Paul went up to Timothy and Timothy specifically had these, these things committed to him. Oh, how neat that would be. We can think of some big guys, big uh, women in the, in the faith. And oh, what would it be if they came up to us and they personally committed something to us? If they personally came up, if Brother Copeland, if Brother Price, if Brother Creflo Dollar or, you know, uh, uh, Sister Joyce Meyer or someone like that, if they came up and they personally said, I need you to do this, I am going to put this in your charge, what would we do? Would we take it? Oh, I'm all right, if I get to it. No, we would. It would take highest of priority. Why? You, you want me? You are committing this to me? Yeah, I need you to get this done. Oh, wow, that's something else. Well, Paul is doing that with Timothy, and God has done it with us. Now, I've got two groups of things for us, and I just put some things in here. You can go back on through, and you should be able to finish fill in some more. But the things that are committed to us, what God has committed to us in, the, in a general sense. There's a general sense in which he has committed some things to us. And though it is general, it's still committed to us. He still has put it in our place. First off, the Great Commission. The Great Commission is something he says, I need to, I'm, I'm putting this here. I'm giving this to you. I need you to do it. It's a commission. It's, it's involving everybody. But I need you to, to take care of this. You go think of over at work, and there are some things that are commissioned to everybody at the job site. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be specifically told about this. Everybody at the job site needs to be focused on this particular thing. The customer service, some ordinances in there, some, some things about uh, thriftiness. There's just some things that they want everybody to be aware of, how they're dressed, how they behave, stuff like that. But there's a great commission that God has given us, and we are all to understand God has committed that to our charge. Uh, another one is to love. 
God has put his love on the inside of us and committed it to us. And he says, I want you to take that love and go out there and love other people. That love has been committed to us. God has personally come by, come close to us and deposited that love on the inside of us. That love is there and we need to do something with it. Every day we need to be thinking, God has personally put that love on the inside of me. And I need to understand, God himself has put that there. This is for me to do something with. I need to do something with it. There's a, uh, there's a charge for the thing. And sometimes we just don't understand that it's a charge. We are charged to do something. We just kind of let it sit there. It just kind of, nothing happens to it. I've told this story a, a long time ago. I don't know when I taught it recently. This is one of those stories I heard, I think, something like 30 years ago. It's the first time I heard this story. I still remember the person telling me the story. I still remember the voices he used in the story. He was good at the voices. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, I love this story. It's way back when I first started learning about time management. I don't remember who the guy was who taught the course. But I bought this course. It was on tape cassette. Of course, of course, that's all we had 30 years ago. So on tape cassette, and I'd put those tapes in the car, and I'd be driving along, and I'd be listening to them. I'd listen to them at home. It was a lot of tapes. It was not uh, two or three. It was a, a big album, and there were a number of tapes in it. And the story he came in just to introduce the whole concept of time management. I don't know about you. I love time management. I have a couple of blogs I keep on my phone. That when I'm sitting there, and you know, you're trying to fill in five minutes, you know, you're waiting for something to happen, I check out the blogs. What's this person got to say about time management? What's this person got to say about this? And I just check those things out because I want to, I'm always looking for good things about time management. It's been a passion of mine for a long, long time. And it started way back here with this guy. I don't know who gave me these tapes, but I got these tapes and he told this story. It was a wonderful story. It's a story about this uh, one woman over in Europe and she had heard that a particular person was coming by. This uh, professor who had traveled the world giving lectures and he was coming near her area and I think she had about eight, nine months until he was coming by. And so she saved every bit of money, didn't have a real good job. She uh, worked in the kitchen and she peeled potatoes most of the day, sat out back and just peeled potatoes. And so she's peeling potatoes and she's skimping and she's saving, skipping some lunches, doing some things that she could do, walking to work, walking home, doing everything she can to save every bit of money so she could get the train fare and get the ticket and get on down there and hear this guy speak. Just to hear this guy speak. That's all she's trying to do. So she did. She skimped and she saved and she got it and she got down there to this place and she got to hear this, this guy speak. He was a German. And he had a German accent. And I can tell you for voices, this guy did the German accent when he talked about it. I'm not going to try and do that because I don't have a good German accent. <laughs> so we're not going to do that part of it. But uh, he, he sat there and, and he went through the whole conference and she just was so thrilled that she got to do it. It was worth every bit of sacrifice and everything that she had done to, uh, to set there. Anybody remember this story? Wow. Love this story. And so after, after I got done, he was uh, spending some time and talking with some of the people who had come out to the thing. And so she just stayed in her chair and she just sat there and waited for the, kind of, the crowd to kind of thin out. Because she didn't really see herself as anything all that valuable. And surely he's not going to spend a whole lot of time with me. But maybe if I hang out to the end and everyone else has gone by, maybe he'll, I, I can just say hi to him or, or just say something to him. 
And so the crowd thinned out and there weren't that many people. And so she went on up to the front and he did take some time with her. And he said, hi. And he, he, he uh, reached out his hand and he, he shook her hand. And she said, it was such, such an adventure, such a great thing for me to be here. And he told her, told her just a little bit of what she had to go through just to be here. And um, he began to ask her some questions about the, what she did and, and so forth. And then she just kind of went off of that. And she said, it must be something to be in your place. You've had so many opportunities. You've been in so many places. Oh, I wish I would have had the opportunities that you've had. And he says, well, what, tell me about your job. Tell me what you do. And she says, well, it's not much of a job. I just sit out back on the step and I, I peel potatoes most of the day. It's most of my days I just peel potatoes. And then I go home and, you know, there's not too much to my life. Nothing like yours. And he said, uh, I want you to make this commitment to me. And he says, I want you, when you go on home, he said, well, he asked her some more questions. He said, when you, uh, when you sit and you peel potatoes, he said, what do you rest your feet on? Oh, it's just some, some steps are out there. We said, well, what are the steps made out of? The steps are made out of brick. He says, I want you to do this for me. I want you to write a story, a letter about the brick. I want you to send it to me. Well, she was excited at first. She thought, wow, that's really neat. He asked me to do something. But, you know, it kind of just went by her. It, it, it didn't really, she didn't give it a whole lot of, she, he doesn't really want to know about bricks. And so she didn't do a whole lot with it. But uh, when she had related to some of her friends, her friends kept encouraging, did you write the, the letter? Did you, did you research it? Did you do anything? No, no, he doesn't really want that. But finally they talked her into it. And so she went on down to the library. And she did some research and found out all the different ways to make brick, all the different kinds of brick that there are. And she began to write up this story. It had to be pretty, a pretty decent-sized story all about brick. And she sent it to him. She didn't hear anything about it for a number of weeks, months, actually. And she just thought he got it and probably just, you know, missed everything else. He didn't really think too much about it. But lo and behold, a letter came from the professor. And in the letter was a check. Because he had taken the article, he had an editor edit it a little bit and you know, polish it up a little bit, and they published it in a magazine. And they got a little bit of royalty for her, and so he sent her the royalty that they had gotten. And I was excited. She was excited about that. And so at the end of the letter, after he was telling her all this, he said, P.S., what is under the brick? For the first day, she couldn't wait to get to work. <laughs> She got to work and she went to the step and she peeled up the bricks and she looked under the bricks and what was under the bricks was a colony of ants. So she couldn't wait to get done work and she got done work. She walked on down to the library and she pulled out all the books she could on ants and she found out all things about ants. She found out there's some real little tiny ants. There's some really big ants, some big ants. that If you put them in your hand, it would take up your entire hand, but you wouldn't want it there because it would eat you. It's a man-eating ant. Big old ant, it eats you. And big ants, little ants, all the different things that it could do, some of the, you know, harmful ants, good ants, all the different stuff. And she wrote quite a number of pages and chapters even and sent it to him and he got it published into a book. And before long, she was traveling across the globe teaching about ants. She became the foremost authority on ants. And uh, he told that whole story just for this. He said, we don't have an opportunity problem. We have a time management problem. Most people 
don't focus their time. And that's why they don't have opportunity. It's a wonderful story. I love that story. I go over my head periodically just to remember we've got to focus our time. If we take and focus our time to do the things that God has given to us, we will find that there are more opportunities down the road to do more. If we do not spend the time, focus the energy to do what God said to do with the general, how are we going to get anything more? And in general, God has given us a great commission. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things. The great commission. This is what we need to, to focus on. Every day, we need to be focused on, I have the great commission. I have a focus to love all, to love other people. How about some more? How about to forgive? That's our commission. We have been forgiven. We are to go out and forgive others. To give mercy. We've been extended mercy. And we need to give mercy. And we could put other things in there that we've been given as a general call. But these things, or these are things that don't change from believer to believer. They're the same. Every one of us believers has the same call. Some of us put more time into it. Some of us put more energy into it. Some of us is more of a focus point than it is for others. Then there's the second group. And what, what has God committed to us specifically? Specifically, this would be our calling. What has God called you to? Our purpose. What is your purpose in life? What has God said? This is why you're here. This is what I need you to do. Your function in the body. Each one of us has a different function. Paul talks about it. He says some are in ear, some are an eye, some are a hand. You know, if the hand wants to be a foot, that's not going to work. He needs to be, a hand needs to be a foot, and our hand needs to be a hand, a foot needs to be a foot, and ear needs to be an ear. And no, no one function is above another. It, the body functions because all the parts are going. If the whole body were an eye, well, <laughs> you might see real good, but <laughs> not too much else going on beside that. We need the, the, in order for the body to function, it's because we have all the different parts Amen. that are involved. Amen. And that's what you need. You know, you look even in the sports world. A, a sports team works because there's a lot of different parts to it. If you look at a basketball team, you've got some guys that are really tall and slow. They're the centers and the forwards. Then you've got other guys that are shorter and faster. They're your guards. You've got some guys that can shoot, some guys that can handle the ball. You've got some guys that can dunk. I guess just about everybody ought to be able to dunk in the NBA, but not all of us ever got to that point. I know I never got to the place where I could dunk. But uh, some, some people do. Then there's all different functions. And the reason that the team functions is because you have all the different pieces. If you, all had, to, if you had the team made up of all the same kind of a person, it's not going to be a great team. So our function in the body, our stewardship. What has God given us to be a steward over? And we can go on about other things that God has specifically called us to, but these are things that change from believer to believer. They're not the same thing. They change from believer to believer. So there are some things that don't change and there are some things that change. But God has committed them into our charge. And as we are faithful with the things that are in the general call, God is then able to take some things and put them into our specific call. Now understand our calling and election, they've been determined before. But a lot of times we never walk into it because we weren't faithful with the early things. 
We weren't faithful with the first things. We need to be faithful with those. And then as we are faithful with it, we, we put our time into it, well, we begin to find out some things that, that, uh, that we should be doing. Remember, we're going through high school. What's one of the purposes of high school? Besides, you know, giving you something to do during the day and get you out of mom and dad's way. <laughs> Purpose of high school is uh, to give you all kinds of topics and get you involved in all different aspects of, of things so that you can find out what are you interested in. What is it that, that, uh, that you like? And there are some people who decide to grow up and they, you know, they get into English class and they like English and they decide, I'm going to be an English teacher. <laughs> I don't know what, what would possess someone to do that. <laughs> but there are some people that, that they just like, you know, teaching English. There are other people, you know, math. Oh, I just love math. And they, they get into math and they want to do some things with math and they find some applications for it. And, uh, uh, physics, uh, chemistry. Uh, biology, all the different things that are out there. And the idea is when you're in high school is that you get sample all these kind of things and find something that you like to do. So that when you go to college, you can start to narrow down what it is that you're going to spend your time doing. I don't know that if the, the system works all that well <laughs> because a lot of times we narrow things down and we go to college and it seems like 70% of people who graduate from college are doing something other than what they majored in. Something it's a, it's a it's a high number. I don't know what it is exactly, but it's it's high enough <laughs> that you're out there doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing, and you end up getting in something else. Now, not everyone is is uh, actually doing that. I when I was in high school, they tried all kinds of ways to find out what I was interested in. I was interested in going outside, playing football and hockey. <laughs> I wasn't good enough to get paid for doing any of those things. It was just it was fun going out there and play football and play hockey. If we weren't playing football, we were playing hockey. If we weren't playing hockey, we were playing football. It was one of those two things. That's all we played. We didn't play basketball. We didn't play baseball. We didn't play anything. We played football or we played hockey. That was pretty much it. We didn't play video games. We didn't play inside. If it was raining, we played outside. Uh, we did, rain didn't stop us. Mom may not have liked cleaning the pants from the football game in the mud, but we didn't stop. We just kept on going. And so uh, we finally determined, you know, I had worked at a pet shop and I had uh, about, I think at the height, 12 or 13 fish tanks in the house. Yeah, most of them were in the basement, but there were about four or five of them up in my room. And then beside that, I, had a, I was growing a lot of different plants. I was trying to do a hand of different plants, trying out some things. And so someone came up with a bright idea that, hey, maybe biology ought to be a thing that you ought to like to do. And so I took a couple of uh, college-level biology classes in, in high school and found out I really like this stuff. I like biology. And so I was going through high school and I was narrowing it down and I had it narrowed down to two fields. I was either going to get into microbiology or marine. I was going to get into one of those. I, I really wanted to get into marine biology, but there wasn't a whole lot of jobs in marine biology. So uh, I decided to go after microbiology. And so that's how I picked the King's College because they had a good science program. And lo and behold, before I got there, God uh, showed me some, some other things and Said, no, this is what you're going to do. And so we went that direction, never looked back. I went to college, a great science uh, school, and didn't take one science course. <laughs> Bailed out of all of them and switched everything on over to the, to the other stuff. Well, you know, that's the whole idea was that was the, we would find out some things that we would do. And that, that's what purpose of, of high school and college is. Sometimes it works for us, sometimes it doesn't. But as you are going through with your life with God, following after the general commission, the general things that were been committed to our charge, you begin to find that you have some talents and some abilities, and there's something in your spirit that just 
really likes this area. You know, for, for some of us, I mean, we all like, I think just about all of us like to worship God. But some people like to lead it. I don't like to lead it. I like to worship, but I don't like to lead it. Remember my story of one time, one time my entire life, I was put in charge of leading worship. Dear Lord, I don't know why they did that, but for some reason they did it. They decided to put me in charge of, of one night. It was a midweek service, and they asked me to lead it. And on this particular day, I was going out in the truck, and I was still being taught some of the things. And what was going on, it was in the wintertime. I was in a step van. They gave me a folding chair in the back of the step van. Folding chairs in step van, not safe. But in a step van, of course, you know, the heat blows on you. It doesn't heat up the step van. The step van never gets warm. There's just too much step van, too little heat. So the only person who gets warm is the person in the driver's seat because that's where all the heat is pointed at. So I was in the back and cold got into me. I had never been so cold in my entire life. I was out there eight, ten hours in the cold. It was a cold day. It was a cold step van. I was so cold I was shivering for about two hours, an hour and a half, two hours after I got off the truck. Well, in that period of time, I was leading worship. So I was trying to lead worship while I'm shivering. <laughs> it was not good. It wouldn't have been good anyway. <laughs> but that made it even worse. And that's the last time I ever led worship. I'm not sure why anybody ever asked me to do it in the first place. But I like to worship, but I don't like... There's nothing in me that, that, that lends me to lead it. Not at all. Uh, and, you know, as you go through life, you find that out. I love to worship. I don't want to lead it. But then I'll, oh, it comes up in other people. Oh, I like to lead it. I like to... Some folks like to teach. Some folks like to... They get into the sound. They like to be in the, 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 in the background and just help things go smooth. But all of us, we find out some things that we like to do. Or that turn us on in the in the spirit realm, and oh, I get excited! I get to go to church and I get to do this, and we find some things that are, that are like that to do: ministering to other people, counseling other people, talking to other people, helping other people. We get excited about that, and then we look for opportunities for that to go. And as we look for opportunity for that to go, then God begins to unveil more of the purpose and the calling. And as Brother Hagen had told us, when God told him after he uh, had pastored for. 10 years or so, and had been out on the road for a couple of years. He said, you're, God said to him, he said, you're now ready to enter into the first phase of your ministry. <laughs> Can you imagine that, being a pastor in a church, uh, different churches for 10 years or so, out on the road for a year and a half, two years, and then all of a sudden God says, now you're ready to enter into the first phase of your ministry. He's like, what in the world have I been doing? And, of course, the words that he got uh, shared with him were... Uh, Many ministers live and die and never enter into the first phase of their ministry. Wow. That's just because we're in ministry doesn't mean we're in the first phase. <laughs> we need to get into the first phase. That is something else. I mean, Brother Hagin did a whole lot of things in those uh, first, uh, first years as he was passionate. I, I remember the stories of the things God did through him and people got ministered to, people got healed and stuff that was taught. <laughs> wow. And that's not even the first phase. Hmm. Yep, we need to uh, be faithful in the things that we have been given so we can get out into the faces that God has for us. I never remember him talking much about the second and third stage of his ministry, just uh, getting into the first stage of that. But God has committed some things to us specifically, but many things to us generally. Let's be faithful with all those all those things. First Timothy 1 verse 18 again, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. This translation is horrible. 
<laughs> it is a terrible translation. I mean, if you read that, it just kind of undermines a whole lot of other things that are in the Word of God. And you just kind of wonder about them. Because the prophecies that people have given us are never to be our foundation. They should never be a foundation. And it's, it's not what he's actually saying. It's just the translation is, is really bad. It's not quite conveying what it should be. So let's take a look at what this is. The part here, according to the prophecies. Well, in First uh, Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of eldership. So there were some uh, gifts that were given to him, and there were some prophecies that came out, may have been by Paul. Paul may have been the one who, who had declared some of the prophecies that were there. But Paul or others that were in the church there, gave some prophecies about some gifts that were in Timothy. And they actually prophesied about those gifts in the word from God about some gifts that were in him. And, you know, that, what those things will do is they kind of give you some specific direction on how those gifts are to go, how those gifts are to be developed, what kind of things are, are, are going on about that. Now, one of my favorite guys, you all know, uh, Brother David Ingalls. One of the things he would do on his albums is he would put a word that he received on every every album that he did, every every uh, one that he write. He put this this word on there. So he put it on so many times. I heard it so many times. I had his prophecy memorized, <laughs> and that was a prophecy for Brother David. Oh, but it talked about what would happen. It would talk about what would happen as people as he would minister. It would talk about how the anointing would come and, and how people would receive from that anointing. And it just shows you he had his prophecy. And he'd go over it and he'd go over it and he'd go over it because it talked about how he was to administer, how God was to work through him, how other people were to receive from it. Oh, it was wonderful. And he just could go over it and over it and over it. But I'll tell you what, David's life, the word was number one. The word was number one. This kind of just helped refine how he was supposed to operate in this. And, uh, oh, it was just, if you haven't heard that for a while, he's actually got a couple of new albums out. <laughs> I got on his Facebook. He has a Facebook page. <laughs> found him on Facebook one time, and so I found him on there, and sure enough, I, uh, and then about a week or two after that, he decided to open up a David Ingalls Ministries page. So I got on that one, too. <laughs> and he had a new song. You can go up there on YouTube. You can hear the whole thing, and, oh, it's just fun. I know some of you don't like always like the little twang and the little stuff that's in there. But I love the words. <laughs> I just love the words. The words are just so good. Just to hear that kind of kind of stuff going on. Did I ever tell you David Ingalls' story when he was in, in one of Brother Hagin's meetings? And um, Brother Hagin was talking about uh, David Ingalls' albums that were out. And it was one of the uh, Winter Bible seminars. And there was a lot of people that were there. And Brother Hagin had said, stopped in the middle of the the service and he said uh, was talking about brother david ingles and he says you know i don't listen to any music anymore except for his that's what he said <laughs> and he said man that was embarrassing because brother copeland was there and that was during the time that brother copeland was putting out all kinds of albums <laughs> he said i felt a little bit embarrassed about all that but uh that's that's what he did but see brother david found a calling that he had. And he understands what that calling is and he, he stays in it and he operates in it. And, oh, it's, it's wonderful. We've got to find out what our calling is. If we know what our calling and our purpose is and we stay within that, our part of the body, we don't get jealous of other parts of the body. 
We don't get upset because other people have this function and that function or the other people go there and get a little bit more attention. No, no, no. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. And this is what I do for the body. And this is uh, what God said. And these are the directions. But God's, but Paul says to him, there are some prophecies that were given. And those prophecies are basically kind of giving you the sphere of what you were to move in and how you are developing. And so he says, uh, do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with laying on of the hands of the eldership. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. I'll tell you what, folks. There's gifts that are put inside of us by God, and it is too easy for us to neglect neglect them. There's a couple of reasons why we neglect them. One is because other people don't recognize it. And so we we neglect it because, well, nobody else thinks this is important. We get that whole thing that, well, i got to be humble, and uh, I, I, I can't really say these kind of things, and about what kind of gifting that you have or what God has done for you. And, and that's not right. You, you shouldn't do that at all. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. If God has put a gift on the inside, you need to feed it. You need to develop it. If a swimmer has a gift to swim, he can neglect it by not getting up early in the morning or swimming at nighttime or doing the things he's got to do to, to feed that gift. If you have a gift, it's got to be fed. You've got to do something to develop it along, to bring it along. What is the gift that you have? Just because you want to do something doesn't mean you're ever going to be good at it. <laughs> you got to say, well, I'm going to put some time into this thing. And I'm going, to, I'm going to dedicate myself to this. I'm going to become really good at this. Because whatever you want to become really good at is going to be a struggle. You've got to pull yourself out of some things that you enjoy in order to do, to do those things that are necessary to develop that gift. And it's not all pleasant. It's not all fun. Uh, some of it might be, but not all of it will be. But you've got to develop that gift. And, and just, because you, just because you want to develop it doesn't mean it will be developed. You could wake up in the morning if you were a swimmer and say, I want to become a better swimmer, but that's not going to develop it. You could think about it. You could read about it. But the only way you can develop it is jump in the pool and do it. And to, to swim hard. And just because you're in the pool every day doesn't mean you're, you're, you're necessarily doing the right thing. You can, you, you can, um, I know this from running. You can just not train smart. That was my problem for many years. I didn't train smart. I trained hard. I trained long. I trained many, many miles. I trained at the, at the peak. I was training a hundred miles a week. I ran in the morning. I ran in the evening. If I could run triple sessions, I would run triple sessions. There was, there was no, no lack of motivation. I wanted to run. My only problem was I had to go to school and I had to work. If it weren't for those two things, I've told folks over and over again, my favorite week of the year, absolute favorite week, I would look forward to this week. I would get ready for this week. I could not wait for this week to finally arrive. It was not Christmas. It was the week before school started because the week before school started, they called all of us sports guys up. And all the cross-country team, we would all head up to school a week early. We would get moved in. And all we did was run and eat. That's it. We had no other job to do than that. We'd wake up in the morning and we'd get breakfast. And you had to be careful what you're going to breakfast because in two hours you're going to be out there running. And we'd run eight, nine, ten miles in the morning. And then we'd go out for lunch. And you get a couple hours off and then you come, you're back out and we'd go out there and we'd run whatever you could run, eight, nine, ten miles again in the afternoon. And I'd just run. I'd run in the evening if they wouldn't let me. I just loved to run, but I wasn't running smart. 
Now I've learned some things and they've, they've uh, found out some things about training. And my problem was every day I wanted to be faster than yesterday. Every day. If I ran this in, in such and such a time, I wanted to be five, ten seconds faster today. And then the next day I wanted to be faster yet. And then I just go, kept wanting to get faster. And that's not smart. That's hard. <laughs> that's diligent. But it wasn't smart. I found out some things about, about running smart. And uh, my problem was overtraining. I would overtrain in, in a second. Oh, I just, just overtrained. I was overtrained so much in uh, my second year. I just, I just love running. I'd run, I'd run, I'd run, that I got injured. And um, I, I would nurse the injury and get myself back up to, to, we were running two races a week generally, sometimes three. But um, I'd, I'd race and re-injure it. And then I had to take, you know, a couple of days off to the next race to try and get it. And it wasn't all the way back, but it was in back enough shape that I could run. And so I wasn't, for the last three weeks of the season, I did no practices. All I did was races. And I'd nurse the thing back. It was a knee. I'd nurse the knee back and get myself back up. But what was funny was every race I was faster than the one before and I had no training. No, no, uh, no training in between. It's because I was overtrained. My body needed a break and I wasn't giving it a break. I didn't train smart. I just trained hard. Just because you want to develop the gift that's in you and just because you work hard at it doesn't mean it gets developed. You got to be smart about it. There's a there's ways to develop the gift in you. We're not getting into that now, but there are smart ways to do it. It's not just it doesn't just happen. You got to find out some things. You got to study some stuff. Boy, I wish I knew now, <laughs> then, because uh, I just wasn't very smart at the whole thing. Well, the gifts in Timothy, spoken of in some prophecies given, but certainly also they were, but certainly also on display and to be seen. They, they were displayed. People could see them. They were, dis, they were out there for people to see. Paul was able to see some glimmers of these things and prophecies came on out. The prophecy was not given and all of a sudden, bam, he was given this gift, whatever it was. And wasn't that how it was? So the gifts that were in Timothy, they were spoken of in some of the prophecies, but they were also on display. People could see them. But he had some prophecies that specifically told him maybe some areas how to develop it, maybe some things how to apply it, maybe some things about how people were to receive from it. I remember Brother Hagin talking about how people were to receive the healing anointing that was in him. I just listened to a, 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 a tape message from him way back, and he was talking about how God told him when he would lay hands on people how he could tell when a demon spirit was involved. And God gave him instruction on that, on how to be able to tell. If this happens, it's a demon spirit. You need to cast it out. And he talked about some things of that. I, I, I'm trying to see if I can get that on video. I'd like to bring that whole thing on over here for you on some Wednesday. Anybody remember him talking about that? Yeah. Oh, I've heard it a few times before. Loved hearing it again. It was, it was just good. But there's some, some things that will help us. When you're developing your gift, when people are receiving your gift, there's a smart way to do it. Do it the smart way. It says here that by them, that by them, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Well, literally, it is in order that in them. That's a more literal translation. In order that in them, that is in their sphere. That is in their sphere or possibly in their power. 
not by them, but in their sphere, in the sphere of what the prophecy said, in the or even by the power that the prophecy was pointing at. In their sphere, in their power, not by the authority or power of the prophecy. Williams New Testament puts it this way, that you may, aided by them, continue to fight the good fight. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. The gifts that God has given us are there to help us wage warfare, engage in the battle. And they are, are things that are, are there for us. You know, people that are on a sports team, uh, uh, football players, they are given some things for battle. A helmet, shoulder pads, different, different uh, parts of their, uh, their uniform are there to help them in what they face. And we're given some things too. So in order that in them, in their sphere. Now here's some real fun verses here. Verse 19. Having, whoop, lost my spot. Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected. There are Christians who are following after God, had faith, had a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. According to their faith in God have suffered shipwreck. Well, shipwrecks are not good. That is not a good situation. But as far as their faith is concerned, as far as if you suffer shipwreck, you don't get to the destination. You don't get to where you want to go. But they had faith. They had a good conscience. But some rejected it. Some went away from it. Of whom are Harmonius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. <laughs> so they had faith and a good conscience. What's faith and a good conscience? Well, you have faith. You have the things that we are to believe, the things that we've been taught, the things that we are to have uh, confidence in and faith in. And how many of y'all know that there are people in the world who are going to come along and undermine your faith? They want to tell you some things about, well, you believe that God created the world. You believe that uh, there's a heaven. You believe, and they'll come up with all these things, and they want to undermine your faith. They want to come in, and they want to find something that they can come in with to take away what you're believing for, what you're, what you're believing as far as God is concerned. And this is really faith more in the area of, of your salvation and, your, and the journey. Certainly, we know that when you have faith for something specific like healing, people want to undermine that. Christian people want to undermine that. I don't know why, but Christian people want to come in, and they want to undermine those things. There's just no reason for that to go on, but they do. Faith and a good conscience. Well, a good conscience is basically that, you know, you develop your conscience. You can develop your conscience to be evil. You can develop your conscience to be good. But you, can, you develop it. And so when your conscience begins to tell you, don't do that. That's, that's not good. Don't go that way. Don't say that. Don't do that. And, you know, if you reject that, if you go against it, then you can do some of these things that people had done and slaughtered all kinds of folks and, and put people in camps and gas chambers and, and just, how do you do that? Because you say no to your conscience. And so here are Christian people, supposedly going after God, and who deny these things. Which some having rejected, there's a rejection that comes in. 
There's a thing that comes in and they're not listening to that anymore. What are they listening to? Their own self. Their own self. A whole lot of Christian people out there listening to themselves, not listening to the conscience that's being developed on the inside of them. Because the Word of God wants to sharpen that conscience. But uh, people don't want to do that. And they dullen it. They, they, they cause it to be not as sharp. They, they cause it to be dull. Why? Because they want to do what their own flesh wants to do. How many of y'all know good Christian people? If you, if you present to them the Word of God and say, well, this is what the Word of God says. Well, I don't think. I really don't care what you think. What's the Word of God say? It's, it's, I'll, t- oh, I'll tell you, the one thing that gets me, and this is, this is in this passage, it's just a little bit, jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit. People who reject the truth in anything, not just the Word of God. People who reject the truth and accept a lie are easy, easy to tell. They are not hard. People who reject the truth who have embraced a lie, refuse to hear anything but the lie. Passionately. No matter what area it's in, they refuse to hear it. People who have, or are of the faith and a good conscience, they love the truth. And if you have, if you have truth that opened me up, I'm listening. Tell me about it. Come on. Give me, tell me what's going on here. <laughs> I'm listening. All right, I hear what you're saying. But the Word of God says this. And it's not just in the the Bible. You look at things in in the political area. You look at things in, uh, in life. You look at things about other people. As soon as folks have accepted a lie as the truth, they have all the same attitude towards truth that comes in. They reject it. Every single, you just look, you go around and you watch. People who have accepted a lie and the, who have not accepted the truth, but accepted a lie and embraced that are resistant. Now you take a look at, you just take a look and see if it's, if it's so. People who have rejected that Jesus is the healer, what happens if you come in and you talk about the scriptures, the thousands of scriptures that are in there about him being the healer? What do they do? No, 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 uh-uh, that's not right. That's wrong. Why? It is so easy to tell people who've accepted a lie. I think it's a piece of cake. Uh, you, just tell how they respond. Because people who are of the truth love knowledge. Tell me. Come on. Talk to me about it. What do you know? And, and no, listen. People who believe the truth are not afraid of the lie. But people who embrace a lie are afraid of the truth. And that's why that response comes there. It's really easy to tell people. It's not hard. Look at Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees had embraced a lie. Jesus was embracing the truth. Was Jesus ever afraid of anything the Pharisees had to say? Did he ever try and shut them up? No. He'd listen to them, ask their stupid questions, and he'd answer them. <laughs> but how did the Pharisees receive Jesus? As soon as Jesus would open his mouth, they're, they're resistant to it. Every single time. Paul would go out into places they didn't even know Paul. And he would begin to talk to him about the truth. And what did they do? <laughs> Peter. What did they do to him? Elijah. John. What did they do? What kind of things did they face every time they went 